Father, we've come to the time in this service when we bow in your presence with an open book, the Word of God. Your Word is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. Your Word is instruction for living this journey we call life. Your Word oftentimes instructs us, your Word heals us, your Word checks us. And God, we pray that your Spirit today would say what you wish to say to the church through the revelation of your Word. Touch me, O God, that I may be an instrument in your hands for the communication of the gospel. In Jesus' great and mighty name, amen and amen. The second of the synoptic gospels is the gospel according to St. Mark. It is the oldest of the gospels, and it was written down by Mark as it was told to him by the apostle Peter. Peter had a first-hand account of the life of Jesus and the latter part of his life and the three years of ministry. Peter was that man that Jesus challenged to become a pillar in the temple of God. Changed his name from a reed that withers in the wind to a rock that is so solid that it never moves. Peter Cephas literally means a rock. And uh, from that time forward, I would like to tell you that he had no more problems but uh, life of serving God was a continual journey of dealing with problems for the Apostle Peter. In fact, uh, his worst problem was uh, overstating his commitment to God when he said to Jesus, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, all of these others will leave, but me, I will die for you. But Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me thrice. And it happened exactly as Jesus said. But on the day of Pentecost, God chose, Jesus chose Peter to preach the inaugural sermon and message of the church. The birthday of the church was preached by Peter who stood and preached to those uh, Jewish uh, people. And the Bible said there were 3,000 converts that were added to the church that day. So what greater source to reveal the life of Jesus than Peter through the penmanship of, of Mark. The Lord Jesus was very busy about ministry. In fact, in Acts 10 and 38, the Bible said God anointed him. God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus was always about his father's business. He was always about seeking the lost. He was always about doing the signs and miraculous wonders, the opening of blind eyes, the unstopping of deaf ears, the straightening of palsied limbs. Jesus was always about the business of healing and deliverance and restoration. His life was a busy life, and we know that he had a dualism in his nature. He was every bit man. He was every bit God. He never laid down any of his attributes as being God in flesh with us. The Word made flesh, the Bible says. But he also was a man, and he tired as a man, and often wanted to find places of rest. And in the Bible, you'll find that he has several favorite places to go to rest. And such was the case on, on this particular occasion in Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5, when Jesus had been about a busy day of speaking, teaching, and parables, even had a visit from his family, his mother and brothers, who said, come home, come home. 
and he made a statement that is in that list of hard sayings that I preach about, but uh, he said, what have I to do with you? I must be about my father's business and the building of the kingdom of God. Amen. And so we, we find in the Lord Jesus a very busy person, but he had need to rest. And after he'd gone through a whole day of that in chapter 4 of teaching and healing and doing all kinds of ministry things, he was fatigued. He was, as you would say, give out. Amen. He was depleted. He was very, very tired. And he thought that if we can just leave this circumstance and situation we're in and can go over to the other side of the lake, that, that's a place that isn't nearly as hectic and it isn't nearly as populated. It isn't nearly as, as fast a pace. And maybe we can find a place where we can just rest for a few days. Let us go over to the other side of the lake. That was the motive for going was to find a place of peace and rest. I think Jesus had another motive because the Bible tells us it was his custom that in the morning hours and the evening hours, the Bible said he was wont to pray. In other words, he liked to pray in the morning and he liked to pray at evening. In fact, it was the first thing he did. It was the last thing he did in every day. And that was his custom. That was his tradition. And he, he also heard some things while he was praying that really astonished him. Now, if you've ever been there and you've seen how sound travels in Galilee and travels around that Sea of Galilee, that basin there, it is actually forms kind of an amphitheater. And the water carries the sound so well that you can hear from great distances. That's how Jesus could stand down at the shore and preach to people that were sitting all along the side of the Galilee and they could hear him very well because the sound of the water behind him projected his voice and he could uh, speak to numerous people, thousands of people at one time and they all could hear him perfectly. How about that? But that being able to hear also meant that there were some things that kind of frightened you at times because there was a, a man that was known in the Galilee region and uh, he was known for really, really bad things. In fact, he was what you would call a terrorist. He was so fierce that everybody was afraid of him. In fact, every time that a ship would sail close to where he lived, he felt so threatened that he would run out and start screaming and shrieking at people to run them off, and they did exactly that. So word had spread all around the Galilee basin of what a terrible, terrible person there was that lived at a, place, a district called Gadara. Gadara. In fact, he became known as the wild man at Gadara. Everybody was afraid of him. And the Bible said he spent the night in the tombs, uh, cutting himself with stones and screaming and shrieking and yelling to the top of his voice. Well, you know, that carried so well that people in other ends of the lake could even hear his shrieks and hear his yelling and hear his crying out in his agony. And it could be that Jesus just simply said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. There's something I know that's there, and there's a person I know that's there that needs what I can do for him. Wow. Can you believe Jesus left the multitudes that he was teaching and went through a terrible storm to get to one person who needed deliverance? 
that tells you how compassionate our God is that he's so concerned about everybody. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about everybody that's sitting right here in this room today. He knew you'd be here, and he prepared things so that you would be touched in some way today in this service. Might have been a song about a peace speaker. Might have been during a prayer that was prayed, or it might have been during this message, or it may be a prayer when we pray later in the service. But God has something for every one of you, and he knew you'd be here, so he's got something prepared for you because he doesn't want you to come to God's house unfulfilled, and he doesn't want you to leave here without having an encounter. He doesn't want you to leave here without having something cathartic to happen in your heart, happen in your life that will change you, that will change you. This man sorely needed change, and Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Mark 4, 35, in the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. They took him even as he was in the ship. He was so tired and he was so fatigued, they took him to the ship. Have you ever been so tired somebody had to help you get in the door? Have you ever been so wore out until somebody had to help you get in? Well, Jesus was so wore out that as a man that the Bible said they had to help him get to the ship. And the Bible said naturally when he got to the ship, he fell asleep. Listen to this. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm. It was a sustos. It's another word, a Greek word for a hurricane. Now, how many of you saw about the tropical storm that came on shore this last week in Louisiana and blowing wind and water and everything? Can you imagine being in a boat out on an angry bit of water like that? The Bible said there arose a great storm, a sustos of wind, and the waves beat into the ship. The Greek word literally says hurled themselves threw themselves at the boat. Can you imagine a wave so high and so strong that it looks like the wind is just hurling that water and throwing it at you? Boy, that's a terrible storm, isn't it? And the Bible said it got so bad that the boat began to fill with water. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have been a pretty frightening experience for me. A.T. Robertson talks about that, the, how the storms can just come out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. And they're about 580, uh, 682 feet below the level of the Mediterranean. So what happens is these storms just kind of come down upon the lake. All of a sudden, just fall and just come down into that de depression. And the Bible said there was a great storm of wind and the waves beat so that it was now full. And Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Now that word for pillow there, the King James kind of got a little off base there. It actually was a leather a seat that the steersman sat on. In other words, the guy that had the rudder in his hand and guided the ship, that was his seat. And Jesus was in the seat of the man who was supposed to be controlling the boat. And the sad part about it, he not only was sitting in the captain's seat, 
he had gone to sleep. Wow. Well, these guys are doing everything they can. They're bailing as fast as they can to get that water out of that now almost full boat. And Jesus is sitting in the rudder control seat and he's asleep. And I, I, it doesn't say this, but I'm sure Peter probably remembered he was the one, but he's too embarrassed to say it because it's just like him to make this statement. Jesus, wake up! Carest thou not? The original Greek lets, is it no concern to you? Carest thou not? They were chastising Jesus because things were out of hand, out of control. And I don't sit there like you've never done this because you've said, God, what in the world is going on? Everything is so out of control. You're supposed to be controlling this situation. You're supposed to be the captain of my vessel. You're supposed to be in charge here. And evidently something happened because everything is going wrong. What's wrong? Are you not there? Where are you, God? And the Bible said, and Jesus got up and asked a question. Why are you so fearful? Well, my Lord Jesus, look at the wind. Look at the waves. Look at this boat about to be blown to smithereens by the wind and water. You're you're, you're a very bright, intelligent person. Just look at the mess. Look at the chaos. Look at all this catastrophe, this destruction that's right upon us. And Jesus, the Bible said, he spoke to the wind. He rebuked the wind. And then he said to the water, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now Jesus talked to two things right there. Number one, he talked to the wind. That was the cause of the mess. And then he spoke to the sea that had been so disturbed by the cause. In other words, he spoke to the cause and the effect. He spoke to both of them. He said, he rebuked the wind. He said, wind, wind, stop your howling. Waves, waves, be calm. The verb there is imperfect, which shows continuous action. It says, be getting calm. Start becoming calm. Wind, start stopping your blowing. Begin your retreat. Boy, I love those words, don't you? You mean God, Jesus, can speak to the trouble in my life? You mean Jesus can speak to the problem in my life? You mean Jesus can speak to the effect, the chaos, the mess that's left over after the wind has done its damage? Yes. Yes. Jesus can speak to the wind, but he also speaks to the water. And he says, peace be still. And the Bible said they ceased. And he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of a man is this that even the wind and the sea obeys him? Now, as they, the Bible said it immediately, they was at, at port. 
And the Bible says, Then that a man came running unto them. That's in the fifth chapter, I believe it is. Turn the page. In the fifth chapter of the Bible, and let me tell you this, the book of Mark is all about authority. It's all about authority. It's all about Jesus as the sovereign God. About Jesus as one who is in control. About Jesus who has all power in heaven and in earth. Chapter 5, verse 1, and they came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarene. Now he's expecting peace and he's expecting rest by going to the other side. Have you ever done something and it turned into a mess? You thought it was going to be good. You thought it was going to be prosperous. You thought it was going to be enjoyable. You thought it was going to be pleasant. And when you got there, you found out it was not. Because immediately when they pulled up at port in Gadara, and they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes, and when he had come to the boat... Immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. I want you to get a picture of this guy. And nobody, nobody was able to bind him even with a chain. If they put cuffs on him, he just ripped them apart. Broke them into pieces. If they, I can see that blacksmith forging a chain. With the full intention, this chain will be strong enough to hold him. He won't be able to break this chain. But as soon as that chain was finished and placed upon this man, he just broke it to pieces also. Wow. His physical strength was amplified by the unclean spirit that was in him. Wow. So much so that everybody was afraid of him. Everybody was, was running from him. And he had his dwelling among the tomb. The Bible said the place where he lived, he had made his dwelling place in the tombs. Can you imagine that these tombs hollowed out in cell-like catacombs where they had buried people? So this man was living where there was nothing but death. Things that had died. Can you imagine the foul odor that was in those tombs? Can you imagine the filth? Can you imagine the awfulness of living in a place like that and calling that your home? This is where he lived. Some of you have brought to this meeting today a life that's not so much like that man, but it's similar to him in that you've found a dwelling place. And it's a place of depression. It's a place of sadness. It's a place of challenge. It's a place of sorrow. It's a place of, of difficult circumstance. And you've come to the decision, come to the conclusion, this is who I am. It's where I am. It's where I've got to stay. It's what I've, what I've got to do. But I have come by here to tell you that you don't have to dwell in the tombs. I've come by here to tell you that you don't have to endure the stench of dead, rotting flesh. 
I've come by here to tell you that there is a Lord Jesus who is the God of all and the Lord of the resurrection. There's a God who brings life into dead things. There is a God who sets you free from bondage. There is a God who delivers you from tyranny and oppression. There's a God who heals damaged emotions. There's a God who has something so much better for you. There is another side. There is another side. What I like about what Jesus said, let us, I like that word us. He didn't say, let me go to the other side, but he said, let us. Jesus is the one that needs the rest, needs the vacation, needs, needs to find the, the, the peace and quiet. But he said, let's do that together. Let us. And I want to tell you, Harvest, if we're going to do anything, it needs to be us. If we're going to do kingdom work, it needs to be us. If we're going to do things to reach lost people, it needs to be us. If we're going to do something to lessen the suffering of of humanity, it needs to be us. If we're going to another side, it needs to be let us. Let us. The greatest thing we have going for us is us. In fact, the Bible said that cords that are bound together are much stronger than just a cord in itself. That when it is bound and put together in a rope, that when it becomes us instead of me or you or I, when we start thinking in terms of us and we start thinking in terms of togetherness, Brother Ford almost quoted it there, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is, Psalm 33 and 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. To dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil that flowed down from Aaron's beard, the Bible said, and puddled in the floor. Well, when Jesus stepped off of the boat, here comes a guy running. And I want to tell you, he's not running for a good reason. He's running for the same reason he always runs. To get down there and shout and scream and holler and show out and run somebody off. But when he gets close enough to the presence. When you get close enough to the presence, when the premises becomes the presence, when you get close enough to Jesus that you realize that you're in the presence of someone greater than you, when you realize that you're in the company of someone that died to save you, someone that rose from the grave and made a home in heaven for you, when you realize there's a sacrifice when you realize there's a propitiation. And the Bible said while he was running to do his mean-spiritedness, he realized, hey, I need to change my attitude. I need to change my attitude. Because the Bible said by the time he got to Jesus, by the time he got to Jesus, the Bible said he had worship on his mind. The Bible said he bowed in the presence of Jesus and began worshiping him. How long has it been, friend of mine, since you bowed in the presence of God and worshiped him? How long has it been? How long since you took your Bible and went to some solitary place and sat down and said, Lord, speak to me out of this word. I want to worship you. I want to, I want to be in your presence. I want to feel your goodness. I want to feel the awesome power of your lordship. I want to worship 
I want to worship. Brother, when he became a worshiper, the Bible said he immediately fell to his knees. Fell to his knees. Could I tell you all flesh lays prospered at the feet of the Lord Jesus that no one can withstand his presence or withstand his power, that all of us are submissive to the will of God and submissive to the lordship of Jesus. He bowed. And the Bible said then something started speaking from within him. A demonic spirit, a satanic spirit, said to him, have you come to torment us? And he said, in the name of God, have you come to torment us? Now I want to tell you, all devils are defeated. You're awful pansy-ansy about that. I said, all devils are defeated beings. The devil, your adversary, is a defeated being. The Bible said they know their time is short. They know that their their destiny is eternal estrangement from God. They know their destiny is eternal torment. What this, this demon was saying to Jesus was, I know God's got our destiny in his hand, but are you going to torment us before that time comes? Uh, are you going to do that now? We thought that was reserved till later. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that devil that you're so afraid of is defeated, and he's already got a sentence of death upon him. He's already got judgment against him. He already knows his fate. And what he's trying to do is make life miserable for you because he knows what his fate is. He knows what his end is. And Jesus just simply said, what's your name? What's your name? He said, my name is Legion because we are many. Now in a Roman legion, there are 6,862 soldiers. In a Roman legion. You might say he was ed up with devils, might you? Running over. How in the world? You see, a demonic spirit, an unclean spirit, hates not to have a house. They're looking for a house. They can't stand not to have a body, even if it's a pig. They like to have a body. They are looking for a place where they can take up residence. Jesus talked about a a man that got rid of a devil one time. And he said, be careful. And don't you go back to that sin you did do and go back to your old life. Or seven will come back to take his place. Is that in the Bible, Don? Are you serious? You kidding me? That devils are looking for people to live in? Are you, are you, are you absolutely sure that that's what the Bible says? Well, if you don't believe me, believe Don. <laughs> the Bible actually says there are evil spirits, unclean spirits, foul spirits that would love to take up residence. 
Now let me set your mind at ease now. A demonic spirit cannot cross the bloodline of Jesus. You cannot be possessed by an evil spirit. That spirit cannot cross the bloodline of Jesus. But there's another word. And it's called oppressed. Not possessed, but oppressed. The oppression from our enemy, our adversary. But I want to tell you, many are the afflictions. Many are the oppressions. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. So when he comes to oppress you, if you'll resist him in faith, believing, you can take authority over an oppression that comes from the devil. Hallelujah. And the Bible said, and all the time Jesus was saying, come out of him. Come out of him. He was continually saying that. He had his dwelling among the tomb because he had often been bound. Verse 5, and constantly, night and day, when Jesus used to pray, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he's crying, gnashing teeth, and seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed, crying out, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, don't torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. He realized, I gotta go. And he wanted to negotiate a place for him to go. He said, I know that I can't stay because you said I've got to get out. You said I've got to get out. So i got to get out. Would you let me have a place to go? There's a herd of swine right over there. Would you let me get in them? And the Bible said that Jesus allowed him to go. And immediately, to show you what the devil wants to do to everybody, immediately, 2,000 pigs started running toward a cliff and jumped off the cliff and committed animal side. <laughs> and choked in the sea. And suddenly, there was a change in the demoniac of Gadara. Suddenly, he became calm. Suddenly his spirit was quiet. Suddenly he went and put clothes on. Suddenly he sat down and talked like a normal human being would talk. He stopped his yelling, stopped his uncontrolled shrieking, stopped his terrorizing, and sat down with Jesus. Well, here came the people from the town. And they said, what have you done? We've lost two thousand pigs that was the equivalent of two million dollars today in their economy that was about two million bucks what would you do with Jesus if he just made your business go to pot and you lost two million dollars in your business say thank you they said, Jesus, we don't need you. You're bad for our economy. You've messed up our sausage business. We don't want salvation. We want sausage. Rather than have people's lives changed, rather than have people transformed and saved by the grace of God, We'd rather have our business. Yeah. 
And they said, Jesus, would you please leave our country? We don't need you in this country. You make too many waves. I would like to think that the Christian church in America, that God's people in this population would be so enraptured with the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we would make a difference in this country and make a difference in lives and a difference in families and a difference in the way we do things. I would to God. You need to clap for that. You missed that one. I don't think it took much coaxing for Jesus to leave because he got immediately in the boat and here came, here came the demonic. Jesus, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to be a disciple. I don't, ever, I don't ever want to be without you. I don't ever want the time to come when I'm, I'm not looking at you. I want to stay with you all the time. Brother, when somebody gets saved, that's the way they are. If you'll remember, that's the way you were that night. You got saved. And he came and said, let me in the boat. I'm going to. This boat ain't leaving without me. And Jesus said, hold it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not the will of God for you to get in this boat and leave. Jesus said, I need you to stay. And I need you to be a witness and a testimony to the people of this land and tell them the great things that God has done for you. You need faith to endure the storm and you need grace to stay and be a light for Jesus. Boy, that's good stuff. You need to clap for that. Immediately when Jesus got back, he'd been over on the eastern side. Now he's back home with the western side. He's back at Capernaum. And you know what Capernaum means? City of comfort. Hard to leave city of comfort. Yeah, sure is. When he got back, as soon as he got on shore, here come a guy from the synagogue. Oh, Lord, he's probably come to fuss at me. He's wanting to argue me about one of the, one of the tassels on the, sh- on the shawl. He's wanting to talk about the Shema. He's wanting to talk about the phylacteries. He's wanting to talk about the leather bands on your wrist. He's, he's wanting to talk to me about the law. His name was Jairus. And when he got to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I've got a daughter, and she's going to die if something doesn't change. In fact, she may be dead when I get back. But said, I, I know what great things you've done. I've watched, and I've seen what you've done. And I believe if you can do anything, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, would you please come with me and go and see if you can do something for my daughter? And Jesus said, sure, I'll go. And Jesus got up and they started going. We're headed over to Jairus' house. Disciples said, come on, boys. I saw what he did on the ocean. Let's go see what he's going to do here. And they start toward Jairus' house, a ruler in the synagogue. And the Bible said there was a little woman. There was a little woman, and she had an issue of blood. In other words, she was bleeding and couldn't get it stopped. She'd spent everything she had. She'd spent everything on doctors. She'd spent everything on medicine until she'd depleted all of her resources, and she had nothing else. But she heard What's that commotion? I I hear a bunch of people coming this way. And they said, that's Jesus. Jesus, the one that healed the blind man over at the 
side of the road. You mean Jesus, the one that went to the pool of Bethesda, raised a man up that got to get up and take up his bed? And walk? You mean that Jesus? Yeah, he's the one coming this way. Well, you know what? I've not found any relief in anything else, but I believe that if I can get close enough to Jesus, I don't have to touch him, but if I can just touch a piece of his clothes, if I can just get close enough that I can just touch his garment, I have faith to believe that I'll be healed if I can just get to that place. So as this throng was going, this little woman made her effort and got in the crowd. No doubt it was hard and difficult, but she said, no, I'm not going to be defeated. I'm going to somehow get to him and touch him. And the Bible said she reached and she stretched and she touched him. And immediately, have you ever had an immediately? And immediately, the power of God touched her. And the Bible said, and she was made whole. And the fountain of her bleeding dried up. In other words, God didn't just touch the stream. He went to the source of the hemorrhaging and stopped it and dried it up. Jesus stops it. Hold it. Somebody touch me. Peter said, Lord, there's people all around you. They're bumping into you. He said, yeah, but that's accident. I'm talking about somebody intentionally touched me. Somebody with faith has touched me. Out of my body, there's gone healing virtue. She said, it was me, Lord. I'm the one that did it. I, I broke the law. The law said that I couldn't touch you. The law said I couldn't even get it within feet of you. The law says that I'm so unclean that I can't have contact with any other person. But I risked a touch. I risked a touch. There may be some of you sitting here today that you need to risk a touch. Everybody's told you there's no use. Everybody's told you there's no cure. Everybody's told you you're not going to get well. And these kind of, Hey, you need to risk a touch. Risk reaching out there and touching him. And that little lady said, made whole. Jesus said, go in healing. And the next thing that happened was here came a runner from home and said, trouble the diakonos, the master, the teacher. Trouble the master no more. Your daughter's dead. It's over, done with. Stop the procession. No need to go any further. It's beyond his ability to repair. And Jesus looked at Jairus and said, Don't be afraid, only believe. And then Jesus turned around and said, All of you, turn around and go back. Don't follow me anymore. I'm going to do something. And he took Peter and James and John and he said, Come on, Jairus. I think we were on our way to your house. Yeah, but the, the servant said she's dead. There's no use now, Jesus. He said, just believe. Just believe. And the Bible said they kept walking. And the Bible said when they got to the house, Nellie, the Bible said they heard the wailing. They heard the mourners 
Oh, she's dead. She's dead. She's dead. Oh, oh, oh. And James, Jesus said, stop that. Stop that yelling. Stop that mourning. Stop that mess. She's not dead. She's asleep. Jesus, have you lost your ever-loving mind? They know she's dead. They've already sent you. It's already come out in Aniston Star. She's dead. Can't you get it through your head? She's dead. Her name's in the obituary. She's done for. She's finished. It's over. It's done. And Jesus looked at those mourners and said, the Bible said he put them out. Thank you, Holy Ghost. He told me to tell y'all, y'all need to put some things out. Some of those advisors you think are your good advisors, you need to put some of them out. Some of those folks that tell you you just need to face up with reality, you need to put them out. These folks that says those days are over, miracles don't happen anymore, put them out. I said put them out. Get them out of there. You don't need them hanging around. And Jesus took the parrots and he walked up to that little girl laying dead, they said, and he took her by the hand and he said, Talitha. Kuma Talitha. What does that mean? That's Hebrew for little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. And the Bible said, and she got up and started walking around. Everybody else may have counted her out, but Jesus didn't count her out. He's the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on him, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. The Jesus I'm talking about is not defeated in the tomb. He's not defeated at the grave. He's not defeated at the emergency room at the hospital. He's not defeated in any situation in life because he is the Lord of life. And in closing, the Bible said she is 12 years old. Why did you want to put that in there, Peter? You, you, you're giving this information to Mark, and he wrote, he said, I want everybody to understand she wasn't a, a baby. She is a walking around grown-up kid. And Jesus made a statement. He said, I would advise some of y'all to go get her something to eat. She likes McDonald's. Somebody ought to go get that woman something to eat. Stand with me. I preached longer than I was supposed to today. Fuss at, fuss at Don about it. He's supposed to keep me from doing that. I'm just here to tell you, why are you so fearful? Only believe. Why are you so fearful? Only believe. My God can do anything. Anything, yes, anything. My God can do anything. He made this earth with all its fullness and all that time may bring. My God can do 
anything. Can your God do anything? Can your God do anything? I said, can your God do anything? Jerry, what did that woman tell you about your report last week when you took your test? What'd she say? Golden. I got the, uh, all my results come back that my kidney function, my liver function was better than my age. Better than a man your age. No cancer. No cancer. Zero. Vitals are better than a healthy 41-year-old man. Yours are better. My God can do anything. Hey, I'm tempted to just walk around this phone with people that I know that God has answered prayer and God's touched their life and God's healed their body. But you just suffice it to, because of time, I'll tell you this. There is nothing that confounds my God. Now, the Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm going to pray for you before you go. Hey, if Sunday's all we got, I got to get my punch in on Sunday, okay? So I'm going to pray for every one of you. The law says I can't come and touch you, but I can raise my hand and lift it and point at your direction. God, I pray for everybody in this auditorium today. There are people in this auditorium that need a touch of God. There are people that need healing. There are people in this auditorium today that need your help and need you, oh God. Now I ask you, Heavenly Father, with all the faith that I can muster, that of these people who have lifted their hands and are praying with this pastor, I pray, God, right now in Jesus' name that you would touch them at the point of their need. Grant them their supplication. Grant them their need. Relieve their suffering, God. Give them a touch of your healing power, your healing grace. Lord, where the adversary has tried to sow seeds of divisiveness and hatred and enmity and strife, God, I take charge over that demonic spirit in Jesus' name. And I ask you, God, to bind that spirit that it cannot pit brother against brother and sister against sister. But in Jesus' name, God, I accept the answer to prayer that the God of all grace is in charge of our situation, that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think. In Jesus' name, answer our prayer today, O God. Heal our nation. Heal our people. Heal our people, God. Do a work for us today, O God, we pray. In the strong and mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Now for about 30 seconds, would you give God the greatest praise that you can give him? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He sits upon the circle of the earth. He is mightier than all things. He is the great God. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. He that keepeth me will neither slumber nor sleep. He is God. Who is this King of glory? He is the King of glory. The Lord God is his name. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be our God. Blessed be his name.